Certainly, we're thankful to be back in the house of the Lord one more week. Just so grateful um, to the Lord for the worship that he permits us to have, um, just the freedom that God gives us to gather in worship together. Um, just particularly excited just about all that God is doing. Um, really excited to jump back in the word of God this week. Just thankful um, the Lord has carried us. This is um, our last week off. I'm off. Well, I'm not off. I have kids coming on Tuesday, but I've worked all throughout the summer. So uh, our students are coming back this Tuesday, and I am more cautious than excited about that. So, um, but, you know, we must educate. We must teach. Elliot is going to school um, for the first time tomorrow, so we're excited about that as well. So um, we'll just be in prayer as, you know, some schools went back last week, just continue to pray for our schools. You know, we have the privilege of being at a, uh, a Christian school, and we know the gospel is being shared and spread, and kids are hopefully being evangelized and discipled, but that's not the case everywhere. So um, we just um, just pray for many of our students as they get ready to go back and start a, a new school year. So we are just grateful to be back in the house of the Lord. We are looking again Closing out Acts chapter 15. So we are moving. It's taking us some time, but we're getting there. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 15. And this is the last event that we're going to see in Acts chapter 15. And as you can see, the sermon is Christians in conflict. Christians in conflict. Now, I do find it interesting, um, you know, the way Acts is orchestrated. Obviously, as you would know from the beginning of our study in Acts, Acts is written by Luke, who for the large part is kind of going back and forth during this time. He's receiving a lot of information from Paul as Paul is dictating it and other um, disciples about some of these events. And so he's recording all these events. But I do think it's interesting about the things that Luke actually decides to include. Now, you think if most of us were writing a story of events that we would say were orchestrated by God and the Holy Spirit, we would probably, I know I would, really only leave the, the good things in, right? I would only put the things that would reflect me well, the things that would reflect the faith well, because I wouldn't want people to see the negative side of the faith. But we don't see that happening with Luke. In fact, in all these different circumstances that can be faced, we actually see that Luke is very intentional about including what we would normally probably exclude about things that happen in the faith in the journey to the establishment of the New Testament church. And, you know, I think we understand, you know, as far as the world is concerned, we do get a great misrepresentation about what the faith actually is. But we also sometimes get a misrepresentation of what the faith is, even from among Christians. In fact, I think what Christians often do is try to suppress some of the harsh realities about the faith, even things like this. But the reality is this, is that all of the things that can come up, just whether you're a believer or not, they're going to come up even as a Christian. You're going to have difficult days. You're going to have sad times. You're going to have grief. You're going to have ups, downs, ebbs, and flows. But the best thing that you can know as far as being a Christian is how to actually handle those things when they happen. We are not absolved from conflict. We are not absolved from trouble, from despair. But what we have, which the world doesn't have, is actually a roadmap in how we navigate through all of that. And this is no different. 
So what we're going to see today is that there are going to be two actually spirit-led Christians who are going to have an issue with one another. And what I hope that we see is that this will help us know how we have to handle these events because the reality is, is that most of the issues that we're going to have are not going to be with people outside of the church. It's going to be with people inside of the church because the majority of our friends, our brothers and sisters are believers. And so what we need to know is how do we handle these conflicts when they come to us as Christians? No matter what the subject is and no matter its effects, we have been given the full canon of God in order to know just how to handle all of life's circumstances. And today we're going to look at the conflict that happens primarily between Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to see the way they were before the conflict, we're going to see the result of the conflict, and we're going to see the resolution of the conflict. And so my hope is that this time together we will be able to look at how conflict is even going to happen and is probably happening in our own lives and how we can follow their example and perhaps even avoid some conflicts as well. So we're going to go back. This is our last time in Acts chapter 15. We're in Acts 15, 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It reads, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Lord, we thank you for the word today, God. You're going to show us that there are so many things that can come up in our lives, but that you have given us the way to navigate through all of them, God. We want to see how these believers here... Um, even in their decisions, even in wanting to do things different ways, how they handle these conflicts with grace and with love and with care, and ultimately as a reflection of the gospel. So, Lord, my prayer today is that you're going to show us that anything that we will face, all the events that we may um, see occur in our lives are inevitably supposed to point us and others back to you. That's what we hope we see today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here that there is a very contentious issue here between Paul and Barnabas. Now, you will notice that the source of said contention is going to be one John Mark, and he actually finds himself clearly in the middle of this frustration between these two men. Now, obviously, this issue requires a lot of context here, and one of the benefits of having walked all the way through Acts is that a lot of you already have the context regarding this scripture. You have the background because you've been with us all the way through Acts. But before we get to just the context of this disagreement, I want you to understand the nature and the background of the relationship that these two men actually have with one another. I want you to understand how close Paul and Barnabas actually are. Because there's a long history between these men. And I want to look back at that before we actually get to our conflict. So let's go back to somewhere where we had already been in Acts chapter 9. 
verse 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, see if you remember this. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, um, that being Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So the first thing that we're going to see here, the first point of today's sermon is that conflict happens in closeness. Conflict happens in closeness. I went back to this text just so we would be able to see with clarity and get a reminder about Paul and Barnabas and see that they are not just casual friends here. I don't know why Mike's doing that. They are not just casual friends here. They're, not, they're just not passers-by. But when Paul came to the faith, it is actually Barnabas who takes Paul by the hand and leads him into the relationship and fellowship with the other disciples. So prior to him coming to the disciples, there was not a belief that Paul had actually been converted. And so it is his faithful brother, that brother being Barnabas, who takes him by the hand and leads him to the other disciples. And when he does this, they invite him into the fellowship of faith, the family of faith that he belonged to. So they are not just, you know, casual friends, but these are co-laborers in the faith, in the gospel. These are brothers in arms. And what we see is that the reality many times, even in our own lives, in the conflicts that happen in our lives, is that there is always a deep level of relationship that happens. That is how our deepest conflicts happen. It is with people that we are intimately connected to. It isn't an offense that would happen in a surface level relationship. You don't just get angry at somebody who randomly tells a lot of you. You'll be upset, but you're not nearly as upset as you would be with somebody with which you have a relationship. You might remember when Paul gives his autobiography, he reflects a event we, event we just looked at a few weeks ago when he says that he had get, been given this revelation and he knew the revelation was true. But if you remember, it was Paul and Barnabas who took that revelation back to Jerusalem to confirm that it was true. These are men who had gone to war together in the fact that they were believing in the gospel. That's what this is. So a part of why they have such a sharp disagreement was because there is such a strong relationship here. They're so close. They have been through the ringer together. You may even remember that when they were said to be gods, that it was Paul and Barnabas who humbly withstood the men and preached to them boldly the gospel. It had been Barnabas who had been at the side of Paul when Paul had been stoned. They have been through it. One of the realities that we have to face, especially as being believers, is that even though we are spirit-filled, blood-bought, redeemed believers, we will still have conflict with one another. And that doesn't mean that one of us is more or less spiritual than the other. That just means at times even believers 
can disagree with one another. So how do they get here? We have to look at that specifically. How can such good friends, brothers like Paul and Barnabas, have such a big riff? It reminds me of the relationship in 1 Samuel as it describes David and Jonathan. It mentions that they loved each other as if they shared a soul and that they had been knit together. Listen, when you are that close to somebody, anything that will fracture that is going to be a sharp disagreement. Let's go back and look, look at how they got in such a sharp disagreement themselves, though. If you remember, Luke mentioned in our text that John Mark had withdrawn. Now, I remember when I preached that sermon and it mentioned when they were going to Pamphylia that John Mark had gone back to Jerusalem. But it doesn't say why. And perhaps Luke is here protecting why John Mark goes back. We don't know why he went back. But what we do know is as they were going on their missionary journey, John Mark was like, you know what? I'm going to go back home. And now it says that some time has passed and he wants to rejoin the missionary journey. He wants to be back in fellowship with these other brothers in the gospel. And it says that Barnabas wants to welcome him back and take him with him. But it is Paul who says, no, I don't want to take the one who has withdrawn himself from us. And so he rejects John Mark coming back into the faith on the missionary journey because he felt like they had been abandoned by John Mark. And so we see that there has to be something deeper going on here because on one hand, Paul is adamant that we're not taking John Mark. And as just as adamant as he was, Barnabas was adamant that they were in fact taking John Mark. Paul says, no, he's unfit for the ministry. John, uh, Barnabas says, no, we're taking him along. How does this happen? What's the big deal? What's the conflict? I think at the source of this conflict, something that you may not know, is that I think Paul actually believes that Barnabas wasn't seeing too clearly here. Why do I say that? Does anybody know the relationship between Barnabas and John Mark? John Mark is the nephew of Barnabas. Barnabas is his uncle. And I think Paul sees or believes that John Mark was receiving too much favor from his uncle because his uncle was being too biased towards him, overlooking what he had done in the ministry. That brings us to our second point. Conflict has variables. Conflict has variables. The fact that Barnabas and John Mark are related is a major area of gray in our often black and white world. We tend to think, especially as Christians, with one another in very black and white, right versus wrong terms. We always do. We're so polarizing. But the reality of our faith is that it often forces us beyond that. And I am convinced that that is why something like this is actually in here in the first place. The fact is this. Even as spirit-filled, born-again, blood-bought believers, we miss it. We miss it at times. 
you can absolutely be filled with the Holy Spirit along with someone else and feel that something should be done in a totally different way than that person. How many of us are married in this room and we're married to another believer and we don't even agree on it all the time? Does that make any one of us less spiritual or less saved? No. It means that we are sinners who are held together by the grace of God and there are clearly times when we don't get it right. We can be feeling two totally different things. This is why it is particularly dangerous for those Christians who use God speaking or the Spirit's leading as leverage to beat people into submission about something they want to get done. In fact, I know of a couple, this wasn't the sole reason they got divorced, but this was one of the last straws, that one of the reasons they got divorced is because each one of them was hearing from God something different that should be done. She said, this is what I'm hearing the Lord say. And he said, well, this is what I'm hearing the Lord say. And guess what happened? They got divorced. Too many times, instead of submitting to the righteousness and the holiness and the truth of the word of God, we would rather say we are being led in order to get people to do what we want them to do. And that is improper. Listen, even though we are believers, we are not without slants. We are not without our own prejudices. We are not without our own biases and favoritism because we are still very much fallible. The conflict that Paul and Barnabas are in here is not an issue of morality. That's another mistake that we make. We turn every non-essential issue into an issue of morality. This is not an issue of morality. These are two men who disagree. These are just two men who disagree. And the issue here is fitness for ministry. Paul just didn't think that, Barnabas, that John Mark was fit for the ministry anymore, or at least at this time. But it's not right versus wrong. They had different ideas. And yes, perhaps Barnabas was clouded by the fact that John Mark was a relative, and perhaps he couldn't see as clearly as he should have been seeing. Is there any more evidence for that? Potentially. When they, get to, when they get ready to sell off to their respective destinations, they don't go to the same place as they planned. You'll see that John Mark and Barnabas just sell off. But it's actually Paul and Silas who received the commendation. So perhaps even the other disciples believed that what Paul believed was actually right. Now this is the thing. Even in the midst of this wrong, does Paul or even God render Barnabas or John Mark useless for ministry? No. There is no need for slander on the part of Paul. And to be honest, God was operating in such a way to accomplish his divine purpose. Very often when Christians don't agree the way we think they should agree or do things the way we do, we use it as an opportunity to slander their character. We use it as an opportunity to mock them, to spread vicious rumors about them. But that's not what Paul does here. That's not what Barnabas does. That's not what Silas does. That's not what John Mark does. The Bible says that they each went on their way. And so that brings me to our third point. 
God is sovereign even over our wrongs. God is sovereign even over our wrongs. I think this is as important a point that can be made here. I know some believers who are so afraid of making the wrong decision, creating the wrong conflict, that when they need to actually do or say something, they can't because they're frozen and paralyzed with fear. In the case with our text, God, in his sovereignty and his wisdom, separated these men. Why is that significant? Paul's intention was to go back around to some of the same churches that they had already established to go around and preach to them again, encourage and strengthen them again. And what we learned is that that would have been one journey with these men. But because of this conflict, there actually ends up being two separate journeys. And so you have four men who went two separate ways and who were spreading and sharing the gospel and strengthening and encouraging disciples in two totally different planes. And we can track directly back to this event, the spreading of the gospel. It is amazing how God will use even our wrongs, even our missteps and mistakes and conflicts for his glory to accomplish his purposes. These two men couldn't even agree on something, but they didn't see that God was working this whole thing out. And to say it simply, God causes all things to work together for the good of them who are called according to his purpose. That's it. Even in the moments when we don't get it right, God is sovereign even over that. God is not playing catch up with our mistakes. The Bible says that he makes known the end from the beginning. So every time it looked like I charted off course, God in his sovereignty allowed it to happen. And inevitably, in some kind of way, whether I can see it or not, he was using it for his glory and for his purposes. Even if we may make mistakes because of our ever-present biases, God will use those to accomplish his purposes. Why do I say that? Because most of the time that we get supremely angry about any wrong or any conflict, it is because we did not get the end that we thought should happen. We wanted a specific outcome, and when it didn't happen, then we have such built-up animosity towards whoever that person was, whatever the subject is. But if we remember that even when things don't go my way, even if I don't agree, even if this thing doesn't go the way I thought, if we will remember that God is still sovereign over everything, then we can temper our expectations And perhaps even look with greater reason, knowing that this thing is happening this way because that's just how God wants it. And I need to be okay with it. And this is really important. As Christians, we should not let any conflict, any conflict permanently shape how we view other believers. We should not. Now, it may appear this way in this text, but I'm going to show you that even Paul did not permanently reshape his position towards John Mark. 
Was he disappointed that John Mark had withdrawn? Sure, he voices it. Was he upset that Barnabas disregarded the way that he felt? Yep, he went on a different journey. Now, how do we know that he didn't permanently change the way he feels? I'm going to show you, but that brings us to our last and fourth point. Resolution reflects redemption. Resolution reflects redemption. I want you to see with clarity why I made this point. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. It says, this is Paul, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And going to Thessalonica, Christians is going to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? When Paul was writing sometime later and near death and in prison, he was there and feeling the weight of the ministry. He says, Demas has abandoned me. Demas is gone. He's in love with this present world. He's gone back. He's disregarded and deserted the faith. He says, everybody else is occupied. But there was one man that he knew was available to him, and he says that he is very useful to me in ministry. You know who that was? That was John Mark. That was John Mark. I don't know how much time it actually passed, but over this course, John Mark had proven himself to be fit in the after all for the ministry. Not just that, that, but when Paul felt like he had been deserted in prison, he says, go get the one I can trust, and that is John Mark, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. There's redemption there. Obviously, there has been reconciliation there. The man that he had been upset with for withdrawing away from him, he now says, I need him. How Christians handle disputes, disagreements, and conflicts should always point outsiders and insiders back to Jesus. Why? Because we were offensive to God. We were at odds with God. We had our relationship broken and fractured and fragmented, but it was the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross who gave us the means of redemption and reconciliation. We were enemies with God. Yet Jesus Christ was on the cross reconciling the world to himself. While we were yet sinners. If Jesus Christ can extend such grace and love and mercy to people who didn't even want to be in relationship with him. How much more love and grace and mercy should we extend to our other brothers and sisters in the faith? How much more? When there's conflict, how much more love and grace should we extend to them? Only believing the best in other believers. 
as believers who know that we have been redeemed, we should follow that pattern of our salvation in our relationships and with other people. It's only natural. And I'm telling y'all this in a very personal way because I am a deserter. I am a deserter. You get on my nerves, you mess up with me one time, you will never hear from me again. I will desert somebody in a second. I don't care, Christian or not. But then inevitably I realize that that is not a good reflection of the gospel, especially with people who are part of the faith. I never forget, only because it was quite recent, I had had a disagreement with another Christian, a friend of mine, and we had supremely, sharply disagreed about something. And I was like, I was going to forsake you. I'm a forsaker. I was going to forsake you. But I thought about the gospel. And that's the reality. As Christians, sanctification should be happening in us independently, individually. But it also means that in any other relationship we have with other believers, sanctification should be happening there as well. Individually, if I'm becoming more like Christ, collectively, we should be becoming more like Christ. That's it. Paul could have held a grudge. Paul could have totally disregarded John Mark. But he doesn't. At some point, I don't know when it was, but he sees that John Mark was, in fact, useful in ministry. And when he saw that, he allowed him to come back into the fellowship. He was restored, and he was willing to overlook the past offense. In a world that promotes cancel culture, in a world that says nobody can come back from wrong, in a world that says nobody can come back from mistakes and sins, no matter how old they are, isn't this a refreshing message to hear? That even in the midst of offense, even in the midst of anger, of bias, of slants, there is still redemption. There is still restoration. And that is the job of a Christian, no matter where they are, that finds themselves in any particular conflict. We should be the source of reconciliation, restor restoration, and redemption. That's the job of a believer. So my question is this. How in your life, in the midst of your conflicts, is the gospel having an effect? I don't just mean just with believers either. When you and one of your friends or family members who doesn't know the Lord disagree, how are you pointing them to Christ? How are you directing them to the cross of Christ? Not to the fact that you're offended, not to the fact that you were bothered or angered, but how are we pointing them back to Jesus? How are we showing them that the same way that our fellowship was broken with God, that they can be redeemed as well? Listen, this sermon is not just if you are currently in the middle of a conflict. This is not if you and your spouse are going to leave here and get in the fight. It's not what it's about. It's about the fact that we are fallen, okay? 
we are going to make mistakes. We're not going to see eye to eye. And there can be times when two Christian people are both independently not being led by the Spirit. How do we work out our salvation in the midst of those conflicts? And how is that pointing people back to Jesus? When you're at work, how is the way you handle conflict different than your coworkers? How is your example different? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us every example that is needed for us. God, for the faith, you have given us a roadmap, a guideline, a game plan for every situation that will occur. God, inevitably, even if we don't know exactly why something has happened, even if we can't pinpoint What exactly is going on? God, we know that everything that could happen happens for your glory. That in some way, God, you are using us as a way to point people back to you, back to the cross of Christ. And God, our hope is that even in the midst of our disagreements, our disputes, that we'll remember the gospel. That we'll remember that the saving death of Jesus Christ, while we were yet enemies of God, brought us in right relationship with you. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness, for your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for what you've done. It is in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Everybody said amen.